Is Thomas Luthard quitting street photography? Let's find out. You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. Welcome to the Urban Awesome Podcast. It's so fantastic. It's so simple. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's see what we can see. Everybody online, looking good. The Urban Awesome Podcast. Hi there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you wherever you are in the world. This is Chris Retro and I am your host for this fifth edition uh, Urban Awesome Street Photography Podcast and we have none other than Mr. Thomas Luthard joining us very shortly from uh, his home in Switzerland discussing all the intricacies of his works and uh, all his photo news and surprisingly uh, that he may be quitting the street photography game. Uh, you heard it first right here on Urban Awesome. Uh, in a while we go straight over to Thomas but uh, in the meantime just want to say thanks for all the support for everyone worldwide. Uh, means a lot. We're now on google play as well um in select uh areas and america uh it's coming to the eu very shortly as well so one of the first guys to get on there i'll be posting links uh to this in the show notes as well as ever you can go ahead and subscribe in our uh itunes channel as well as acast stitch radio and many more um, also soundcloud and stuff so uh please do support and also please take a visit to my website chrisretro.com uh all the show notes and the interviews and the photos of our previous guests, including John Free, Sally Davis, Michael Sweet. So please do go ahead and uh, yeah, show your love. Uh, but for now, we'll go over to Thomas in Switzerland and find out, is he really quitting street photography? Let's find out. Let's give him a call. The Urban Awesome Podcast. Hello, Thomas. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you? Excellent. Very well. Uh, welcome to the Urban Awesome Podcast. Very glad to have you on with us today. Thank you. Where are you? Uh, where are you based? Where are you calling from right now? I'm calling from the central, or yes, the center of Switzerland. I'm based in Zug. That's between Zurich and Lucerne. For those who lo- who know Switzerland a little bit. Well, Thomas, listen, uh, again, thank you very much for agreeing to, to come on um, as a guest. Um, I really love your work. And um, yeah, we'd just like to kind of get you on and talk to you about your, essentially your street photography, your style. I'm shooting on the streets for about seven years now. I did at the beginning a lot of candid portraits of people where I got very close and I thought this would be it. Until I realized that the closer you get, the more of a story you lost, you lose. And then I got a bit further back, got different cameras, wide angle lenses, 35 millimeter equivalent. And now I realized that I also do a lot of silhouettes, tunnels and things like that. Architecture with a little bit of human inside. But that's also something that bores me right now. So currently I'm a bit uh, in a difficult situation. So I am not that motivated anymore. I did a lot. Everything repeats itself. So that's how it is right now. Um, How would you actually um, describe your style then? 
Well, basically, it's, it's mainly black and white, strong contrast, a lot of black. I like the, the really strong black and white images. And I try to compose them very well to keep everything out of the frame, which doesn't belong to the story or to the situation. And I think they're all quite clean up and it's difficult to say it's uh it's always a human person in it most of the times just one except if it's a couple or if the story requires a group but normally it's just one person do you, do you only shoot in black and white i mean i noticed that your um style is very stylized right now certainly the stuff you've got on your website currently um do you find that you go through phases of course, everybody goes through phases, I think. First of all, you try different things out. Then you realize that black and white works pretty well. Then I had a kind of a sepia phase. I had a phase of just decolorized or desaturated style. It's, I think it's styles comes, come and go. And in the end, when you know what style you would like to do, then I think then you can start developing your own personal style and you keep that for a longer period of time when you want it. But when you always try to experiment different things, I think it's very difficult to maintain your own personal style. Hmm. Indeed. Um, I mean, what, what drew you to street photography um, and, and kind of what's your background and how did you kind of get into it over the last few years? I once bought a camera about you know, nine, six, seven, eight, eight years ago. And as an IT guy, I just thought, okay, let's try that out. It's kind of a technical thing. And so I came from the technical part, not from the art uh, part. And I booked a course how to shoot with the DSLR, and I liked it. And I so looked at some pictures, and I thought I would never be able to do that. Hmm. And that was actually the challenge to get better and better. And one day... I got that good to be to, to compare myself to the pictures I saw at the beginning and yes and it made it was fun I was traveling a lot I was in China at the Olympics in 2008 I could work for my employer at the time locally for the for the games mm. and it was an amazing experience to see what's going on on the street of Beijing yes and I think there it was the, the starting point of my street photography career. Do you have any of those works that were in your archives that uh, we can see? Um, or do you only publish recent works and stuff? Yeah. Uh, it's, it was not that spectacular. There were, I have a book, a photo book from there uh, in my cupboard, but it's, uh, it's like everybody. When you start, you don't look a lot, don't... You are not very good in composition. You zoom a lot. You crop a lot, and it's just a, it was just a tryout. So it's not. I would not call it street photography yet. No. What I did there at that time. Is there a certain point where you thought this is really what I? You know, I'm getting pretty good at this, and you know, this is really what I want to do with my life and my my photography career. Yes, that's what I thought about for the last let's say seven, six of those seven years. And last year I realized that it could work out that I could live from that. But then I thought, I'm not sure if I would really, would really keep the motivation so long. 
Yes. And now I'm at the point that I see, I realize that a lot of things I see on the streets are just repetitive. So it's not really adding anything new or I have to re reinvent myself just to get better and better. And that's it's, the, the further up you get, the more difficult that gets. At the beginning, you have a lot of different things you can try out and it's easy, let's say, to get better. And on a certain level, getting better or finding new stuff is quite difficult. Hmm. What What do you think motivates you then to continually go out? And are you always trying to improve on your last work? Because they say you're only as good as your last photo, right? So, That's uh, right. But currently, I'm not motivated at all. So. Are you not? <laughs> Why do you think I'm that still, is? Are you, are you, can you reach your peak? And you kind of. <laughs> I reached. I think I reached my peak. Somehow, I reached my peak. I have uh, done a lot of things. I have achieved a lot of things. And now I think it's just time to do something else, something, something completely different, maybe a life without photography. Of course, I will keep a camera and do some pictures now and then, but somehow I'm not really, I'm really in a, you could call it crisis or you could call it a change yes, in, yes. in life to do something else. Right, right, really, yeah. Because you, you, you have a, a huge following and a huge fan base. So how did you kind of reach that pinnacle and, you know, um, in such a relatively short space of time? I think the reason for that is I was working very hard. I mean, it was not hard work for me. It was just a lot of passion. Yes. I was burning for photography. I went out nearly every day. And for me, it was it was automatically getting better the more I was shooting. And I was motivated to shoot a lot. And then I think it's yeah. it's a question of time until you get better. It's It's the amount of time you spend with your camera on the streets that makes you better. Not watching any tutorials. Of course, you have to know what to do. But I think that's pretty fast, pretty early on understand what you have to do. You have to go out and try to find something trying to compose it and then press the, the button. And it's not a lot you can, uh, let's say, set up. You have yeah. a situation, everything is given, you have your camera position and you have your camera settings and that's it. And with that, you have to work. And the, the more you practice, the easier it gets to, to work with two, these two different uh, settings. What's your ideal street setup in terms of cameras? I noticed um, you're using Olympus right now. Yes, I use the Olympus since the OMD is out. I use the EM10 Mark II, so the the, low, the lowest model with a 17 millimeter equals 34. Right. So it's uh, yeah. around 35 millimeter equivalent. Yes. Right. And I think that's it. And I mostly most of the time shoot in P mode. Mm -hmm. Camera does a lot, a lot of things automatically. Because this gives me time to to focus on composition yes. and, and everything else. Because normally yes. you don't have a lot of time to think and to make settings. Correct. And yeah. for me, it doesn't matter who did the settings, me or the camera. In the end, the end result is important and that counts. Yes. For me, you know, I, I when I go out and shoot, you know, you've got to be so quick these days as well to kind of uh, capture that moment, the decisive moment, as it were. And for me, if I went out with a manual camera or a manual lens, I'd spend so much time, you know, trying to figure out everything that by the time that situation had, had come and gone, it would be probably too late. So 
I think it's much harder to shoot analog, and I'm not sure if what it should help. Of course, it helps that you have to think more, that you cannot shoot in burst mode, that you have to that it every shot costs uh, whatever fifty cents or one dollar. But I think the learning curve is not that high because I think the more you shoot and the more you think about your shot the better you get. And when you have only 36 frames in a day or in a week, then you only learn 36 times. And when you take maybe 100 or 500 photos a week, you hopefully think 500 times before you press the button, but it's it doesn't hinder yourself to make pictures because it's too expensive or too much effort to, to develop and everything. So the whole process is much slower of course, it slows you down, but I'm not sure if it really helps your uh, developing your skills. Agreed. I mean, when you go out and shoot, you, you mentioned there about, um, you know, do you mainly shoot sometimes in burst mode and you, you let the camera do quite a lot of settings and stuff as well? Yeah. I also have burst mode on, which means that sometimes when it's not necessary, I just press the button once. When it's necessary to keep a certain or get a certain body position, I shoot two or three frames. And it also happens that I shoot seven, eight frames when it's necessary. But I think burst mode doesn't really help you getting a shot. It's just to make it more perfect. Because the right moment, you have to figure out yourself. You cannot start shooting in burst mode and keep shooting it for 10 seconds. You don't do that. It's just to, to, to know where the perfect moment is and to keep... Per, or to get the person in the best body position possible, you shoot in burst mode. That's what, what my opinion is. Some people think or say that's complete nonsense, but as in street photography, uh, everybody has a different opinion. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think there are no rules as well, really, to be honest. Yeah. You know, and it's what works for one person and one photographer may, may or may not work for, for someone else. And it's, I think it's a personal thing camera settings and and your modus operandi and how each person works on the street is maybe different to someone else but um uh when when someone looks at your work when someone looks at your body of work what would you want the actual the viewer to to absorb from looking at your your photographs originally i was very interested in the ordinary life of people and showing this in a certain interesting or extraordinary way and today, I think most of the photos are just well composed and sometimes graphically nicely structured. I think there's not a lot of stories anymore in my photographs. That's also something I realized. I think that was more interesting in the early days or before. And uh, I think for, I just would like to show them a nicely composed black and white photograph, which they would hopefully like or put on their wall yes yes um are you you aiming more towards um photographic art um than um you know kind of um the up close to coast candid style of street photography then is it is it more the fine art would you you, is it difficult to describe your style but um yeah it's difficult i think at the moment that uh, right now it's more like fine art and about the year two or three years ago i was more candid style telling stories traveling and 
showing how life looks like in a different country. But today I'm not into that anymore. But don't, yeah. don't ask me why. <laughs> that changes. Well, I, th- I think um, I think we as photographers we you know gain influence from a lot of places, and you know, and I think I've not necessarily our style, but I I'd, maybe our taste change over time. Because I think if you do one thing permanently all the time it can get boring and as photographers we need some kind of inspiration we need a reason for us to get out of bed and and go out there and and you know take photos and there has to be some kind of motivation to do that and if it's kind of all the same all the time you know that that doesn't kind of mix it up enough for for that uh for that kind of genre um would you kind of agree with that or yes definitely it's uh i think the difficulty is to keep your work or your motivation for a longer period of time and go with all the different uh, waves or styles and still liking what you do because it's a certain point you either don't have the time or don't have the motivation or you don't get any further and it's always an up and down you sometimes are stuck in a certain place and then you have to get out yourself or by talking to other people or attending workshops whatever and i think that makes the long in long term that makes the good street photographer who just uh, gets over those those uh, bad situations or this non not being motivated situations and i think that's the, the difficulty in life in general that you keep going no matter what happens hmm. you think it's uh, akin to kind of writer's block you know, <laughs> you know, we, we kind of reach that point. You kind of, you know, you have to get over that a little bit and then continue doing similar and maybe going off on a slightly different uh, path. Yes, you have to somehow completely change the direction because I, I really had situations where I was stuck in a certain area of photography and then I found out by doing something else. And at the moment, I don't see a way out. But that's... Maybe a question of time. I don't know. Hmm. Spring's coming. Yes. Maybe yes. <laughs> yeah, spring, summer's on the corner. So when the sun shines, everything's fine, right? That's so, that's yeah. right. I think it's that the weather also makes you a bit more depressed because in winter it's not, of course you can always shoot. I would never say that you cannot shoot in certain weather, but there are less opportunities, or you you have to do more efforts to to make some. To go out and to make good pictures. If you had to say um, what do you think, um, if you had to give advice to someone to say, you know, what are the cliches in street photography to stay away from? Yeah, it's it's the music, the musicians on the streets, the 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 beggars, the homeless people, like all the all the people who are the cheap target. I mean, it's you should not stay away from them. Either you really make a kind of a journalistic uh, approach, so you talk to the people, you tell their story also in writing, make some pictures, and then it's fine. So you follow whatever musician, homeless person, and then tell the complete story, and not just yes, shoot yes. from the distance with a long lens uh, somebody who is begging for money. That's That's not how it should be. In the end, you can shoot everything. It's just a question of how you do it or how deep you look into the situation or the story and what you make out of it. You can basically 
Yes, when you do it right, you can shoot everything with the right, with, with a certain respect, and maybe with more than just a photo, more pictures, more story, and then it should be fine. Um, you mentioned that you come from an IT background. So uh, what were some of the difficulties that you encountered when you first started doing street photography? Hmm. Oh, good question. I'm I'm not, I'm an IT guy, but I'm not so gear focused. Of course, at the beginning, everybody thinks that the camera makes the photograph or with a better camera, you make better photographs and you buy a lot of gear and everything. You change your camera, you buy new lenses, you take a backpack and everything. And one day you realize that this is all not necessary. You can just have one camera, one lens, and everything works out when you know what you do, when you know what you are looking for, that you exactly see those things that you can achieve with this camera. Do you think it's a mindset thing where people think they have to have the best gear to make the best work and best photographs? Of course, it's it's human being who thinks that Good gear makes a good job. And I think there is no area in this world or no craft ship which which really is which makes this, this saying true. Because when you have look at uh, when you have a movie on the television, the, the screen can be as big as possible, but when the movie is bad, it doesn't make any difference. The same when you in sports, when you have a good good ski equipment or good golf equipment or good tennis equipment when you cannot do it you don't have a chance to to beat anybody else and you would not play better tennis when you buy the the racket of roger federer for example yes somehow people don't realize that that it's the eye that makes a difference and it doesn't really matter what kind of black box you use to make a photograph and such a cheap camera challenge really makes shows people that basically you should give the same camera to a lot of people, send them out, make a picture, no cropping, no post-processing, just out of the camera, and then compare them, and then you see who is the best photographer when they all have the same camera. But that's not possible because everybody has another one. Yeah, agreed. So that's the difficulty. Hmm. Um, uh, you you teach workshops. Um, you know, can you just tell us kind of what... Um what your processes are with that and is it is it more of a um, uh, kind of a hands-on workshops where you try and teach people kind of the processes and the skills of um, street photography or? normally we just meet in a certain place everybody brings uh, one photograph or sends it in before then we discuss this photograph then we make some theory about how to approach, what kind of settings, all the, the technical things you need and, and all the questions or challenges the people have. I always ask them, what's your biggest challenge in street photography? Most of the people say fear, some say the law, or that they don't, that are, they are not quick enough. And then I explain this all, all this, uh, explain them how to get over these challenges. And then we go out for two or three hours, make some pictures, which we look at afterwards and discuss about the experience. And when we are out, I normally help uh, when you're about 10 people, I split the group in two, go with one group for the first half and with the other half for the second part. And yes, it's a bit probably 30% hands-on, 30% discussion about 
photographs they've taken and 30% theory. Do you find that um, helps people um, get a better understanding and gives them a bit more confidence to go on and yeah, create better pictures? Yeah. yeah, the difficulty is that in theory, everything is clear, but you have to get over your fear yourself. You have to get better yourself. You have to train, you have to practice. In the end, it's all about how how many hours you are outside to to practice that's all about it when when you were starting out did you um did you study any of the masters you know and, and you know what kind of stuff you know what where did you get your influences from because i know when i was starting years ago i was kind of getting books from cartier bresson you know i was getting some of the you know the masters sort of stuff and just looking at photographs from even photographers and just thinking wow i'll never be able to achieve that you know <laughs> um I'm not into history and I'm not that interested in the old masters. I also don't know a lot of them. Of course, I know Henri Cartier-Bresson and, and the most famous ones, but I just got out with my camera, walked around and looked what I see, what kind of situations I saw. Because when you look at pictures from Bresson, it was like, whatever, 60, 70 years ago and life looks completely different. And I think you... Of course, you can probably learn a certain things, but in the end, it's it's life has changed uh, completely, and everything looks much more colorful, much more distracting in the background. So you really have to adapt how the the world looks today. And I think the best thing is to go out and to to have a certain curiosity about people, and you just get there on the street and find interesting situations and make a picture of, of that. What what you see and what you think is interesting for you. It's always difficult that people try to think to what should I take a picture of? In the end, it's what you see and what you think that is uh, making sense. When when you're out shooting, you know, um, on that note, you know, how much is for you instinctive and how much do you maybe plan a little bit is it you know depend on circumstances and, and the light and where you are you know of course you can go out at different times of the day and then you have to adapt to to light or the weather or whatever and sometimes you're just there and you see something and you cannot really do anything about it you just have to take the picture and sometimes you really can see, okay, here is a nice light situation, and then you wait until something happens or somebody walks into the frame. Uh, I think that's about 50-50. It's, it's not something, sometimes I wait, sometimes I see spontaneously something, and then you just have to be ready and, and press the button as soon as, as possible. Um, I mentioned Cartier-Bresson because I noticed um, there's one um, picture that's very reminiscent of the Cartier-Bresson uh, man over the puddle. Is that is that something you, you aim for or it just happened? Or um, I was going through some of your photos today and uh, yeah, that's one that resonated a little bit with me. Yeah. I think you are often inspired subconsciously, how to say, like in, in your brain, you, you have seen a lot of pictures and... Then when you are there, you remember, okay, that's something you could do here is to wait until somebody jumps over a puddle. Or sometimes I have afterwards realized that 
I have somehow copied or made a similar photograph of somebody else, but I was not aware of at that time, but I've seen the picture before. So it was in my, in my brain somewhere stored. But at that time, when I was at the situation, I didn't remember that I've seen this picture already. Well, there's a, there's a school of thought that says everything's a remix anyway. And there's so much influences by, you know, film, photography, art, etc. as well. Was there, was there like a definitive, you know, light bulb moment and you thought, right, this is it? Mm. No, I think it was not just a moment. I think that happened because I did certain things the same way. At the beginning, I was really going very close with a 50 millimeter on a DSLR crop 1.5 camera to people and made candid portraits. And that was some kind of my style at that time. And everybody saw this picture and instantly knew that must be from me because not a lot of people did that at that time. And you always had the same faces or the same look in their faces because I was just, they just saw me. And in that moment, I pressed the button. So they didn't have the chance to, to react or to smile or to look angry. And I think you, your own style gets, you develop it by doing similar things in a similar way, similar focal length, similar post-processing, and do that for a longer period of time. And then automatically your style is being uh, developed by itself. Yes, yes. Yeah, just just keep on it, you know. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, would you have any advice to people starting out? You know, what I find is sometimes I, I do workshops and stuff. People um, want to kind of you know be there, but they won't have to start here, and they get disheartened that their work isn't as good as they would like it to be. But without you know continually going out there and trying to develop it, you know, day after day. Um, I think perseverance is the key here, isn't it? And just to keep on keeping on, you know. I think Cartier yes. Bustle said the first 10,000 pictures are the worst or something. So That's um, right. I'm not really sure. Sometimes I'm not sure if how much is talent and how much is training. Some people say it's all training. Some people say it's all talent. I would say about 20% talent, 80% can be trained. And some people are just not made for photography. That's, that's sometimes... A fact people have to realize that you cannot buy a camera and everything can be trained. That's it's not bad, but that's that's true sometimes. Yeah. What's your favorite um, city um, to shoot in then? Uh, have you got like a favorite spot where you can go? <laughs> yeah. I was asked that question that question many times. I think Istanbul is quite interesting because it's so big, so different different cultures, different people, and you can see a lot there. But also smaller cities like Marrakesh in Morocco, where it was very difficult, where people were not afraid, but somehow it's a cultural thing that they don't want to be photographed. And there it was really hard, but it was really nice. Uh, the environment, the people, and you just have to somehow get the shot. You know, have you got some kind of tips and tricks you can kind of share with us quickly um, about kind of how to, you know, kind of handle yourself and blend in with the camera? There's a lot of people say you should try and be invisible. Sometimes I pretend to act like I'm a tourist, you know, or constantly fitting with the camera or whatever. Depends on the situation. But, uh, yeah, the, the last thing you want to do is in a really busy place and, and draw a lot of attention to yourself. Yes, of 
Of course. First of all, you have to be confident about what you are doing. If you are afraid or something, people see that. And I dress normally like a tourist. I have my camera around my neck and with a small camera, which you don't have to put uh, to your eye to look through. You can shoot with the display. It's easier to make a photograph without people realizing that. And I shoot with the display, with the screen on hip level or let's say belly level. It's it's less intrusive. People don't necessarily see that I take a picture. Sometimes I look even in the background, to the background and pretend to shoot something else. And the longer you hang out in a certain place, the more you are part of that place. So everybody that comes later before you have been there or started to be there, they see you as part of the scene. So it's easier when you are already there to take a picture of people getting there than when you approach a place with your camera and everybody sees this guy is, is new and that yes and, and just walk around quietly slowly don't act fast like it would be the nor- most normal thing in the world it's easy to say i know you have to practice <laughs> it's it and in terms of um social media um yeah, talk, talk to us about that. Talk to us how you think um, social media has made a, a difference to photography per se. Yes, uh, per se, it makes a difference that you reach a lot of people with a very small effort around the world. You can publish something and instantly a lot of people see it. You find a lot of like-minded people also with a small effort. The problem is that when you have a lot of followers, it gets, it makes a certain pressure on you that you have to publish uh, on a regular basis. People sometimes don't like your pictures, but in the end, we all photograph for ourselves, so it doesn't matter. But still, and somebody writes, somebody writes, it's a bad picture. I don't like it, or you should change that, or that, or that. It's still. Do you get that then? Sometimes you get that and. This, this bothers me, although I would say it's only a very few people say that. Yes. And, yes. But in the end, it's I like constructive critics because then I know what I could improve. When only somebody writes it's bad, that doesn't really help. Yes, and, and social media can be uh, an enabler for a lot of uh, networking, communication. I've met tons of people just through the internet then I traveled and met them in person. And without the internet, I would not uh, I would not do photography anymore, I think, because this helped mm. me just to share my work, to get in touch with different people, to travel, to meet people. It's, it's all a kind of a thing that makes a lot of things possible. Um, you mentioned now, I was going to ask you, do you shoot for yourself or, or for others? For yourself? Yeah. (laughs) Some people say absolutely no. (laughs) The right answer is I shoot for yourself. And in the past, I sometimes realized I make pictures or I upload pictures sometimes just to to feed the community, which is not a good thing. And that's also something that is difficult right now to say, okay, if I don't want to upload, I shouldn't. But somehow people would like to see something now and then. And yes, in the end, you have to say, if you do it for yourself, then and don't feel uploading something, you would not upload anything right now. Uh, how do you self-critique 
your own work. I mean, I find the hardest thing is to for someone to say, or even for my own website, is to you know go through my own photos and and you know hundreds of photos and and, and boil those down to a certain section. Or when someone like myself says, oh, you know, send me ten photos or whatever. Do you find that a difficult process? Yes, but here comes the question into play: if you shoot for yourself or for the others, because the question is when you upload something which is mass market uh, proof, then you, you can upload sunsets and, and cats and everybody likes it. But you still have to, to, to be satisfied yourself. And if uh, the difficulty is to find or to shoot something that you like and also the others like, but in the end, it's more important that you like it. And when you think it's a good picture for you, it might still be a good picture, although it doesn't get any likes at all that's that's not important but to be uh to edit your own work i think it's for me it's not that difficult i very often see if it's a picture if a picture is working or not of course sometimes other people say but this picture would also be good although i have deleted it that's but since i don't show my my bad shots to anyone this doesn't actually happen but maybe i have even more good photos, but I think I, I figured out the good ones. That's not a problem for me. Yeah, no. What's your um, post-production process, Kenlas? Because you've got a very, very kind of unique, kind of stylized look to your work. So that's what everybody <laughs> tell says. Us, but for... tell us a bit about that. I mean, are you a Lightroom guy, or, or I'm, you know, a, your... I'm a Lightroom guy. The, the thing I do. I, put in my uh, SD card and I don't import everything. I just go through the finder to look at the, the thumbnails, make a preview of certain things and the good ones, <clears throat> maybe five out of a hundred, I import into Lightroom, <clears throat> post-process them. Normally I say one minute should be enough. If I have more than one minute, there's something wrong in the photograph. Right, okay. And I do a little bit of like leveling cropping if necessary but i try to keep it the original size a lot of contrast some clarity a little bit of vignette sometimes i try i make the blacks i put the blacks down until black is visible so i press j to see the white and the whites and the blacks and when a photograph doesn't have any whites and doesn't have uh, any white any blacks then something is wrong so i try to really have the whole spectrum from completely white to completely black. But that's quite a short process, and I don't think that I do anything special. I just uh, like strong contrasts, and it should be black, should be black. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, because, you know, uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of different opinions out there in terms of post-production processes, yeah. I agree, you know, if, if you've got the shot, you've got it. If you haven't, you haven't, you know. There's no, you can't polish a, you know, a what's it, yes. as they say. So, it's the same um, with the camera, that the camera cannot do a good shot and post-processing cannot do a good shot. It happens in between. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, listen, we're coming towards the end of um, this uh, uh, session. Um, it's just one thing I wanted to ask you. Um, your famous hat, is that a trademark for you? It <laughs> is a kind of a signature or trademark for me. I, I used to play golf and I think I have it from there. And I started wearing it for a self-portrait. And then I thought, okay, keep wear this while shooting. And this is kind of a 
a recognizable signature. People recognize me because of the hat. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And is it a lucky hat? No, I have about five or six of them, so it's not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think every photographer should have a hat. Yes. Well, listen, uh, it's been excellent speaking to you. Um, I know you've done a lot of interviews in, in your time. Is there one thing you wish you were asked but never were? Yes, or if there is a life without photography. For a lot of people, I mean, for me, it's also at the moment or the last five, six years, it was very intense and it was more than half of my life was filled up with photography. And for all the people who know me, they could probably don't think of me not being involved in any kind of activities about photography. But somehow I think it's, it should be possible, but uh, it takes some time to, to find something else. And, and on that note, you know, do, you, do you think you're going to continue doing what you do in into photography world? Or is it now time to, to have a break and walk off into the sunset for a while and regroup? Uh, probably a break. Don't know how long and what happens afterwards. But at the moment, I'm just taking a break, let's say. Yeah. And I upload from the archive and yes. Yeah. Well, books are a good thing. Perspective's good. You know, you can't. It's it's actually a very intense process, isn't it? You know, doing this as a you know as a hobby or as a career. You know, in, and it, it tends to um, consume my life a little bit. You know, it tends to t- take over. <laughs> it's taken over my life for the last sort of two years. So um, yes, it takes over your life at the moment. At the beginning, you makes it makes you somehow very lo- lucky or happy. Yes. And now this happiness is somehow gone. So it's more a job than a hobby, although I still have a, a real job. But somehow it's 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 not a pa- it's a passion, but it's it's more it's more work than a hobby somehow, and, and that should not be the case. So it doesn't make me as happy as it used to make me. Let's face it like that. Well, summer's coming, so you know maybe regroup, have a break, and you know I I think you'll be out, out there on the streets in no time. I really do. <laughs> I think it once it once it gets in your blood, it, it never really leaves, is it? Yeah. It is addictive, right? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. But perspective's the key, isn't it? Yeah. So that's right. That's right. Excellent. Well, listen, Thomas, uh, we'll bring it to a close there. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So uh, thank you for being so honest and open with us. No problem. That's what I always am. And for me, there are no secrets. Um, Thank you very much for your time. Yes, that's fine. Perfect. Thank you. You're listening to a feed of the Association of Music Podcasting at musicpodcasting.org. Please visit www.grizzretro.com for full podcast features, iTunes links, and past shows. Live long and prosper.